you're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. Hello everyone, this is the Business Breaks podcast with your co-hosts John Byrne and myself Dante Healy. Today's episode is about how do you navigate your corporate career in order to get the best out of it, which invariably means getting promoted as close to the top as you can to realize your potential. So with that in mind, this is a very multifaceted topic which John and I have attempted a few times and we can give you certainly our take on what it takes to get to that top based on both our successes and I guess from my side, certainly, my failures. <laughs> so, John, if you'd like to kick off, what do you think it all starts with when you're looking to get that promotion, that next step, and ideally beyond that? I would say from the very beginning, you know, the, the very first step is um, figuring out what you consider promotion, what way you want to go. Is, is promotion getting a new a pay rise and a new kind of, you know, becoming the senior, whatever your current role is, is promotion becoming a manager? Is it becoming a manager in your exact department? Is it becoming a manager in the company, but moving, you know, across departments? Or is it leaving the company and going to another company to be at the next stage? Of, now, when I say manager, you know, obviously, depending on where you're starting from, I just mean the, the next level up. So, it's not just a job title thing that you've now got more experience or now you're a senior whatever role rather than being a junior whatever role, but it's an actual promotion up to the next layer delineated level. But knowing what, what that is, is the first key. And then seeing, is it realistic in the company that you're in? I mean, you know, if you're a company in a, in a company that's small, where the next level up is your manager, and your manager is the same age as you or, or younger than you or not much older than you and has absolutely zero ambition to move up themselves, then you're kind of stuck. If, you, if your expectation of promotion is to move up to that level, if they're not going anywhere anytime soon, then you can't go anywhere anytime soon. Are you going to be able to leapfrog them? Probably not. So in that situation, then you need to reevaluate what you consider a promotion because you're going to have to move across or out to company if, if you are, you know, that whatever. So it's to, to, I would figure, you know, know what you're considering and is it viable in your current situation. And then when you know what it is that you want to achieve, what you consider promotion, then you kind of know what you have to do. You can figure out what you have to do to get it. Do you need to get more experience? Do you need to get more um, publicity, I suppose, is, is, is the key thing because, you know, as, as you know yourself, with, with, with promotions, it's not enough to be very good at what you do. You have to be seen to be very good at what you do. Um, and that's how a lot of people can sometimes see. You see people getting promotions who aren't good at what they do, but they've gotten the scene part right. They can be seen to be good at what they do, even though they may not actually be. <laughs> um, and that's where a lot of very good people tend to fall down that they, you know, and, and makes it tough, I suppose, especially if you're an introvert. I don't mean to go around boasting about what you do. That's a big difference between boasting about what you do and being seen to be good at what you do. Um, so, uh, you know, 
they'd they be kind of from the very beginning piece that I think what my take is on it. How about yourself, I think? Yeah, I'm going to paraphrase what you said because I completely agree with everything you just said there. From my experience, the few very senior people I've spoken to, they've said that in their experience, it's, the strategy has been ideally find someone who is on that upward trajectory and to put it, well, not so blunt, well, bluntly put it, is basically find a way to ride their coattails. And also, as you say, there are people who focus more on the FaceTime. So getting in front of the right people, preparing as hard as you can to speak well in front of those people rather than focusing on the results. Unfortunately, if you run a steady ship, that doesn't give you necessarily the visibility. And there are people who do game the system to create drama, but also create that drama, but have a plan to rescue it. In which case you get seen to be a, not so much creating the drama, but <laughs> fixing it. And that also seems to be a good way to get that attention and make the right impression and impact. At least when you're talking about impact as in, leaving a favorable impression on the decision makers who will impact your career if you stay in one company for a period of time. And and I'd, I'd kind of bet on that as well, when, when it comes to being seen um, to be good at your, at your job, the other part of that is being seen, in, you know, just, just that part, even if you're not being seen to be good at it, in, in the sense that, you know, the people who will make the decisions about your promotion, the senior people, Assume, and for the lot, for for the large part, it's just a true generalization. They have no imagination. They might have great imagination for the business, and that's why they're in the senior roles. But they have no imagination of imagining you in a more senior role. You have to make them see you in a more senior role. So it's it's the old thing, you know. Don't dress for the job you have. Dress for the job you want. That is true. But also start trying to uh, you know. You, you can be a leader without being a manager. Um, so try to be a, a bit more of a, you know, to, to, to become a more of a leader. So that when the people who will make those decisions about your promotion see you, it takes very little imagination for them to see you in a much more senior role, that you're dressing for the part, you're acting the part, you've got the confidence, even if you're bluffing it, you, you look like you have the confidence and you have the knowledge and, and you know, that they can just look at you and think, yeah, that person fits right into the role. They don't have to use much imagination to picture it. They can just, they could actually just see you as you are in that role. So that, that's how to carry yourself. Other things I would say as well with the be seen to be good or as I said, that's not going around boasting about it, but, but things such as if you're very good at something, depending on what company you're in, you know, if, if they have things like lunch and learns, try to, to give, you know, a, a small presentation on what you're doing. Stuff like that, where you're not boasting, you're talking about what you do um, and how to how to do it. You're you're effectively passing on information. You're you're passing on values to others, but you're being seen to have that knowledge and that ability. So therefore, you're you're not only good at what you do, you're being seen to be good at what you do. It's not because you're boasting about it, but because you're actually showing other people how to do it well. And so you know that would be another key thing. And a final kind of. Um, team which will go against what some people tend to do is do not make yourself indispensable at your job 
Because if you're indispensable at your job, then how are you ever going to get promoted? Your manager will never allow it. Because your manager's relying on you to do something. You might get, you know, the promotion in the way of you'll get a senior tacked on to your existing job title and you can get a bit of a pay rise or something, but you'll still be doing the same job in the same position but going to the same person. And and you'll never get out of that if your manager has their way because you're indispensable. So don't ever allow yourself to go indispensable. Use that kind of, you, you, you happen to be indispensable because you can do something no one else can do, but then use that to be seen to be really good at it because you can then train other people to do that. That means you're still very good. You're known to be very good. You can show other people how to do it. But now it's okay to promote you because you've you've got other people who can do that job now. So, you know, it, it is that way. And don't just be seen in your own company. Network outside your company because maybe the, the promotion that you'll need is for a different company. So, you know, yourself, all these different, depending on what you do, it could be going to chamber commerce meetings. It could be, uh, if you've got professional qualification, in our case, we were SEMA, so it could have been SEMA, you know, um, networking events, ACCA networking events, CPA networking events, depending on, you know, PMI networking events, whatever. Nearly everybody who's looking for promotion will be a member of some kind of professional organization who will hold some kind of networking events. You know, get yourself there and, you know, get to give a talk if you can, even a 10 minute uh, of what you do, what you do well. And that. it just gets your name out there and it gets you visible. Uh, visibility with other companies so uh, even if there's no room for a promotion in your company you could end up getting promoted somewhere else because they know who you are and they don't have to imagine what you'd be like in their company because they, they can see you yeah. they'd be the key things just off, off the top of my head I, I, I would say from uh, you know from, from my experience and also from seeing other people do it very well and do it very badly they'd be the bits that keep how about yourself what would you be kind of is there anything else or would you, would you disagree with any of the things I've said or or think I'd... not disagree but maybe put a different spin on it because just from my experience you know if you are indispensable on the flip side if a job title isn't a motivator you don't give a damn about being a vice president I do know some employees who are what I'd call the name your price type employees where they're so invaluable they can hold the executives to ransom. For example, type of people who are experts in one system or one infrastructure or one stack, especially in financial systems, in big enterprises where they just know everything about a, a combination of systems, so the ecosystem. They're kind of that intersection type employee who understands the business, understands the, the technology, and the related IP that supports the business, you get a new executive in, they become very nervous when they hear that this employee is starting to retire. And then they say, you tell me, what will it cost to keep you here for another couple of years? So I've seen those sort of employees who are, shall we say, it's not just the technology, it's not the skill, it's a blend of different skills. Understanding the institutional knowledge and then being able to say, well, it's a shortcut, right? Or at least if things go wrong and with change, they can negotiate. And again, it's not a promotion, but it is actually a way of actually negotiating. And I know we weren't going to cover negotiation because we've done that on a previous episode. But if you are looking to negotiate a salary and play hardball, you have to have leverage. 
and being indispensable is a bit of a leverage play. Again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. You have to define what you mean by promotion. If, if what you mean by promotion is just getting a nice job title and a pay rise, then that's a good way to get it. Be indispensable. But if your idea of getting a promotion is to actually move up the ladder, uh, you won't get it anywhere with that because because you're indispensable. You, you'll still be doing the same job. They can call you a vice president. They can call you a senior vice president. But if you're still doing the exact same job because you're indispensable and no one else can do it, is it really a promotion? Um, are you going to be happy there? And it's fine if you're coming towards the end of your career, like re retiring or, or that. But if you're early in mid-career, you know, this is where you're going to be. And the danger nowadays with that is with technology moving and, and you know, you yourself, like, you know, it, maybe you'll disagree with me, but given that what you do with the finance transformation and that technology is moving so much that, that somebody who's indispensable on something today, tomorrow, some new technology will, will, have, will hit the mainstream that completely makes what they do irrelevant. They're no longer indispensable, but they're also no longer needed because they've no value anymore. They, they, they focus too much on being indispensable in this area, which is now being replaced by some new technology. They've nothing else to offer. Whereas at least if they if they made sure other people could do what they do, that they trained and they're, see, they're visible, they're being seen to be a, a leader almost, that they could step up when what they do is now considered uh, you know unnecessary because of new technology. But the other bits, the, the, the fact that they were able to pass on this value to other people, they, they were able to train others. They were able to motivate others. That will all still, step, have, you know, be a good benefit to them that the business may say, or a different business may say, you know what? What they actually were doing on a day-to-day -day basis is no longer needed. But the way they were doing it, that is needed. We we can use use them to move that way of doing things to another system that isn't automated yet, and they're of value to us. We can promote them because they don't have to actually do the work. They just have to show other people how to do it and they can manage those people. Yeah, you know, that's, that's where I'm putting from. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not one technology that replaces another technology. It's it's more about the systems. And again, mm -hmm. the underlying business processes, the institutional knowledge and IP of how the business operates, that's the bit that you lose when you your experienced employees retire and have to be replaced by less experienced employees. And this person who actually has the title global director, not C-suite, but global director. So it's not like they're junior either, but the name your price type thing is someone who's a great leader, but also a great technician. So they have the people skills, they have the technology skills, and they understand the business. That is really hard to replace. And again, it's mindset. Because what they do is they solve a variety of different business problems that come up, and it's a shortcut for the business, which makes them inv invaluable. So again, that stuff I you don't just yeah. I, I was just going to say there because the, the energy explained what you meant by invaluable. I didn't explain what I meant by by it properly. I'm talking about I've seen people where uh, you know there's this big spreadsheet that covers. Um, whatever uh, you know accrual say and the person has designed it in such a way that nobody else can follow what the hell is in that spread. I replaced those sort of people within a month I had one guy one guy who actually tried to pull a sick leave thinking that the whole department would collapse guess what nothing happened 
and he was out for three months. I was expecting him back on the fourth month. You know what happened? He couldn't come back to my department. He was so embarrassed because he pulled a sickie thinking he'd caused me to have a nervous breakdown because I, you know, I, I, I'm still pretty strong, uh, but I used to be a master of Excel and his spreadsheets were so basic. He thought they were complicated. I basically rebuilt them all and made them more efficient within a week. And yeah, it's, it's those sort of employees that really wind me up because a, he got upset because there were mistakes that I had to self-declare because I was new in the job. B, I had a very big ego at the time when I was younger, so I wasn't going to let things collapse. I I was trying to make a mark. And then C, this guy wasn't really, he wasn't really on board with what I was trying to do, which was move the department forward. He was supporting people, but he wasn't doing it in an efficient way, so... But then you've got people who do understand systems beyond spreadsheets. And yeah, it's one of those things where there are... It, yeah, It was just that, that to, to, when I was saying indispensable, I didn't mean indispensable by the definition that you were kind of given where you become so good at what, you know, like you're just very, very good and everybody knows it and you're indispensable. I meant indispensable from the point of view that they do one thing, whether that's looking after the spreadsheet, whether that's... But they they do and they keep all to themselves. They won't share. They don't let anybody else know how they yeah, do it. Yeah. Keep it all to themselves because they feel that makes them indispensable. They can never be fired. They can never. They'll never get promoted either in that situation. You know that they, because they'll have to just keep doing what they that one thing up until the point where someone figures out how to do it. Yeah, but and then, that's why I'm good at finance transformation because those sort of people I find easy to replace and automate because they're not really doing anything that shouldn't be automated. If you have a consistent process, and probably that's the problem, is that a lot of inefficiencies, people doing multiple things different, the same thing multiple different ways. So it almost becomes like a custom solution. And usually it's it's an Excel jockey in the finance team who's who's created some convoluted spreadsheet that really should be in a system that ends up, you know, getting replaced. So to be really valuable, you have to have you have to have digital skills, you have to have business skills, and you have to have uh, soft skills, interpersonal skills, and understand how to navigate an organization. I think these people are really invaluable. But as you say, the bit I find is hard is the marketing and the advocating of your value. Because if you're more focused on doing a good job, because it is time consuming, it is complicated. You're not spend, you don't have the hours and hours or even days to prepare your presentation so it's super polished. You're just working on, well, what do I need to do? What is the problem in front of me and how do I solve it? And what's the best way to solve it usually? And the other thing is navigating a lot of senior leaders who have a view on how things should be solved as well. They're trying to align on the trade-offs, if that makes sense, and make people feel like that they've been heard, but not necessarily always agreeing with them. And sometimes when you disagree, you can make enemies as well, which can backfire in your career as well, in terms of aspirations. I think you have to take, you know, that that's 
that's a risk you have to take. I mean, you know, you can disagree. You have to just have genuine reasons for disagreeing with them. And some, some will take it. Some are, you know, petty enough to take it badly and they will end your career in that company or whatever. But, you know, by the same token, you can face it the other way that you agree, you're, you're too agreeable with everybody and what they want is somebody to give a different voice so they, so they kind of end your career because they're figuring, well, I don't need your ideas because your ideas just replicate my ideas and we already know what my ideas are. Uh, so, you know, in that kind of thing, you just have to take your chances, I think, and, you know, do what you think is right. And if that means you're agreeing with them, then fine. If it means you're disagreeing with them, then fine. But don't disagree just for the sake of it and don't agree just for the sake of it. Be, you know, try to add your own value and, and either agrees or disagrees with what they are doing. But if you've, if you've got your reasoning right, then it shouldn't negatively impact on you. Whether they agree with you or not, they should see the value of what you've put forward. And, uh, you know, that should help them do it. But, uh, you know, it, it comes down to as well communication, as I said earlier, be, be, make it easy for them to see you and the senior role that you want. So you're, you're dressing for the role, uh, but you're also speaking the same language. And one of them is, as you're saying, with presentations and that, if you're presenting to a senior team, probably the senior team who are going to eventually be deciding on your promotion or not, remember that you're presenting to the senior team. Do not give them the same presentation that you would give to the people who are below you or equal to you. Um, and one of the key things there, and I, I, you know, and you'll read it in many, many books, many you know, communication books and that. And, and you'll see it in many other places as well, online and LinkedIn and the various things. One of the key things is, you know, we have a tendency, especially for technically good, we say what we did, how we did it, and then we finish up with, well, this was why we did it, if we even mention that. Senior team want that completely, you know, just just tell them why, why you're doing it. They don't care really what you're doing. You might just mention that near the end so that they know, and they definitely don't care how you're doing it because that's not part, you know, they don't know that kind of detail. Most of them don't want to know that kind of detail. You'd be lucky if, they, if, they, if they're still paying attention when you're telling them what you're doing. They just want to know why you need to do it. And if you explain the why to them, first and foremost, they're happy. And so that's part of the spin scene to be good at your your role. Nice. But, 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 you know, aim your communications, speak their language, basically. Yeah, very, very high level, the classic one pager. If you can't, and, and the elevator pitch, if you can't summarize in a single sentence the situation, you're going to struggle to convey your message or even hold their attention. At that level, it's it's about, and also it's about how you frame the narrative. So as you say on all these LinkedIn posts, they talk about storytelling. And again, it's all about being succinct. It's about having those emotional triggers and also presenting. So one of my mentors, he says, an ounce of presentation is worth a pound of substance. Doesn't sound fair, but it's true. It's how do you present, how are you perceived, and how do you craft that image that people have in their minds when they think of you? That's that's a key to adding value. It's all about branding. You know, the classic, what's the difference between a, a pound of grapes in plastic packaging versus a pound of grapes in an open crate that you have to handpick? probably about $2 extra. And it's just because you put plastic packaging around it. 
So again, it's it's how how do you package it up? How do you package the value you bring up? And again, that is where people maybe rightly or wrongly will perceive what you were based on those interactions. And it's it's not just so you know. I think as well, a lot of people who uh, they look at it and they think it's it's all just about looking the looking good, you know, doing doing the the, the lovely presentation with the thing and all. But it's not just about that. It is about, as I said, getting the the get, um, packaging the right information, communicating properly. So, like in the example that I gave, you know, you tell the senior team the why. They really don't care. They couldn't care less about the how you're going to do it. Who cares about how you're going to do it? Probably the people that will report into you because they're the ones who are actually going to do it. So they need to know how to do it. The senior team don't need to know how to do it. So they don't need you to train them in how to do something. They just need you to tell them why you're doing it. And maybe what you're going to do or if there's two or three options, what those options are and what the pros and cons of them are in a very succinct, you know, reasonable way that can be done in one meeting so that they don't have to go out and do, you know, you've gotten whatever number of years training and what you do so that the senior team don't have to have that training. So just remember that when you're doing the, the presentation and that, because I, I have seen that, I have seen, you know, it was a very intelligent person. He was um, very, very good at what he, he did, but his communications were terrible. So he never really, he, he got... I think he got to, to present maybe two or three times to senior teams and then they specifically would not allow him. I ended up on one occasion having to present his work because I could understand the detail he was going into and then I could summarize it and, and just talk about the, the, the stuff that's important to the senior team. But he just couldn't do it. And, you know, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was early enough on in my career and um, I actually rewrote his presentation for him one time to the tour time that he was he got to present and he looked at it and he he just couldn't he he ignored it and he went to in his own presentation because he he just couldn't see what what i i was telling the the senior team what i was posing he should do it he he talked but but they don't have enough detail they don't they don't know what i'm you know this and he said and he's trying to explain to him yet they don't care <laughs> you're the one who goes don't tell you know it's but then that's what made him great technically at what he did because yeah. he was in the details. Unfortunately, strategies are wonderful, but if you can't implement and execution is all about having getting the details right, getting the tasks ordered, getting the sequence, having the systems designed, understanding all of the nuances, all of the variables at play, and probably putting all that effort in, he was... There's probably a part of his mind that thinks, wow, if I just show them everything I did, all this hard work I did, I'll really impress them because they'll know how good I am, how hard I work, how much thought I put into it. No, I don't care. What's 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 the what's the elevator pitch? Yeah. He never he never told them why he was doing it. The why. You know, the why was obvious, but he never told them the why and um went into way too much detail about how he was doing it. And the thing is I I, I you know, ten years later, he was in the same position. Very frustrated because he was never getting promoted. You know, he he did end up then and um, stress related sick leave and, and and various things like that. 
and it all came down to frustration because he could never get promoted despite how good he was at, at what he was doing. Now, would he have been good as a manager? I actually think he would have been, maybe a, definitely a supervisor because he knew the stuff that if he was talking to somebody else who knew the stuff, who, who knew the jargon, who knew the, the, the things, he could train them in very good and he could become a great, um, certainly a great supervisor. I would say even, you know, he could, he could be a good manager. It would take him a little bit of um change of, of, of the way he did things because he wouldn't be hands-on then. He, but he could make sure the people who were hands-on were doing it. But he just could not communicate with the more senior people. He could not tell them why things were important, just what, how to do it, you know. And, and he, he would not take any advice because um, it wasn't just me. I mean, and you know, you know, that being that big-headed, it wasn't just me who did it. There has been many people and many much better people than me and even including some of the very senior people told him, look, we fall asleep. We're in the next four to 15 minutes of your presentation because you're going into way too much technical stuff we don't need to know. You need to tell us. There's a clue there, 15 minutes. And he's probably one bullet point on the yeah. whole agenda of about probably 10 or so items that you need to get through in an hour. And, and none of those items were anything like I, I, because as I said, I seen the, with that, the toured one that he gave, I, I seen the whole thing. And even when you read through, it wasn't even like at the very end, he'd stick in the bit that was important to him. He never had the bit that was important to them on his presentation. Even if they sat through and kept paying attention for the full hour, they would not see what they wanted to see. And that, that made it very difficult for him to, um, made it difficult for him to get go ahead for projects because he couldn't sell the project. And it made it impossible for him to get promoted. He never got promoted. And he's he's moved on to a few different roles now. And he's kind of gotten promotions by moving companies into slightly more senior roles and or at least better paying roles. But he's still, when you consider how much he's, he's as much experience in what he does as I have in what I do. He's actually more experienced in what he does than what I have in, in what I do. And he's still in a very junior role. I mean, he's a supervisor now all these years later. You know, how many, we're talking 20 odds, 25 years. I'm trying to think actually, what's this? Yeah, he has about 25 years experience and he's a supervisor level. You know, he's not a manager. He's not, and he's, it's not like he's not actively looking for promotion, but he just, his communications, it's what he's communicating. He can talk, he can do a great presentation, but it's always geared towards technical people. It's never geared towards the the seniors, and he can't do it. He just hasn't got the. He won't listen to anybody. That's one of his things. He won't try. Problem is, he's probably too talented and therefore uncoachable because he's already an expert. He already knows better than the seniors, and unfortunately, one of those things he probably I would tell him is you've got to tailor your communication to your audience, as you probably and everyone else tried to tell him. But then he's probably in his mind, there must be some other reason, something that's inherently unfair that he's not really shown the value. But I guess ultimately you have to take responsibility for your own career because it is your career. And that's that's another mindset shift that you need to own where you end up in your at the end of your career when the chips are down. There are always options. If your organization won't promote you because they don't value you, if you believe you're honestly doing all the right things, find another job or find another function that could value you. Hell, even find another another career if people don't feel like you, you're getting 
if you don't feel like you're getting what you think you deserve for your efforts. But get get feedback as well, though, and and don't take the feedback personally. Pay attention to it. Almost kind of distance yourself on a personal level from like that. If somebody is giving you feedback and saying this is this is where you're performing very poorly, they're not they're not attacking you saying you're crap at this. You know that you're no good at this. They're giving you feedback. They're telling you, look, you, you didn't come across well in this area. So try to fix that area. That was one of the problems that the guy had. He would never, he'd take the feedback personally. He would take it that it was all unfair. He gave a great, you know, that, that he what he was doing was great. And what he was doing was good, but just not good enough to... Um, to not good by someone else's criteria. Unfortunately, that yeah, is yeah. also subjective as well. And, yeah. and sorry, I'm reason I'm interrupting is I got triggered because you remember a few episodes back I was talking about a boss I couldn't get on with no matter how much I tried just because of personality differences. Being judged is somewhat subjective and value is intrinsic to the individual you're communicating to. So again, coming back to it, maybe he found that audience that executive board that are actually into the details who want to hear everything about why things are going wrong what are the details but generally speaking i'm just thinking maybe it's someone who in an organization maybe it's someone like a founder who had to build their business from the ground up who is okay with hearing about what's going on but then and maybe they're not interested in growing the business uh, or they're focused on that one function or element of the organization that this ex-colleague of yours is interested in. So again, there's a lot of nuance into who, who you work with. Yeah, It's mainly just that he was there, man. And it's not, I've seen it with a lot of people, but most of the other people listen to the advice that they're being given it. You know, the, the, the detail is important but not to the top management team. Mm. They don't have time for the detail. That's what they've hired you for. So they don't need you to tell them how you're going to do your job. They need you to tell them why it's important to the company. You know, what, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, it, it, it's, but when they tell you, you know, if their feedback is that you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're talking very technical details, high jargon to people who don't do that, that, they don't understand the jargon. They don't necessarily understand. You might have one or two. Is like any board, you know, we kind of come from an accounting background, so I suppose we can use that as the classic example. The CFO might be interested in the accounts. Nobody else in the board cares about them. They just need to know, well, what figures do we need to worry about? So don't give them a whole big board pack with P&L, balance sheet, this, that, and the other. They're not going to read it. The CFO might read it because, you know, he has a, or she has a little bit of nostalgia from back when, they used to be an accountant, so they like to see the accounts just to keep in touch. But the COO, the the you know the CIO, all the other CIO, they aren't accountants. They don't care about this. You need to just tell them what they need to know, what's important to them, and that's the what actions do they need to take to improve performance or meet a target yeah. or even exceed it? Yeah, and that that's the exact same for everything else. That again, if you're a technical person in the, in the operations area. The COO might be interested in what you're doing, but nobody else on the board cares. They just need to know what what's the important bits. 
So that's why why I mean when I say you know it, it, to be seen to be good at what you do, it's not just the technical pieces. It's them when you're going and report or giving a presentation to the more senior people. Aim at those people. Don't give them technical details that they don't understand and don't care about. Give them the detail they want to hear. What's important yeah. to them. And and that example of the guy I was given, he could just never accept that. He would never. He could never see it. Um, and it it wasn't like it was one manager who was keeping him down that you could say, oh, it was Persil. He had lots of different, you know, because he, he did kind of move around. The, it was a very big place to really work. So he, he was able to move around doing the same kind of work, but under different, different sections of different teams. And he'd never get anywhere. And then even when he left, like even as I said now, he's um, still in a reasonably junior role. And the only thing holding him back, it's not his ability, it's his communications. He just cannot tailor his communications to a more senior level he he sees he's in the weeds and he tells everybody about the weeds he can't kind of step back and look at the back. next level yeah yeah and and it's the big picture that the 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 higher ups are interested in so if he wants to get promotion and if you're somebody like that that you're down in the weeds all the time you have to accept that when you're talking to the people higher up than you they aren't interested in the weeds they're looking at the bigger picture so you need to be able to talk big picture to them in order for them to understand what you're, you're you know, you know we have a few exceptions that you know some of them come from where you are so would know and they might ask you more detail and that's fine then you can get into the detail but your initial presentation to the seniors should be geared towards their level using their languages their yeah you know knowledge their, their um, and what's important what will be important to them and if you can do that then you're being seen to be one of them then you you are you know that they're not able to imagine what you'd be like to be walking with you. They can see it, and that will that will improve your chances of promotion. And to add to that point, make it a pleasant experience each interaction when you're presenting to the board, because if you make it seamless, frictionless, if you will, what you have to do is get to what they need to know without them having to ask for it. And when they ask questions, be concise in your responses and answer the question directly. If you want to be telling a story, that's great, but keep it brief. Just simple, whatever framework you want to use, star, car, whatever, just make it a brief answer. Just everything that's relevant, talk about risk versus return, opportunities, risks, and what are the potential benefits, and then time horizons, if you will. I think try try not to get defensive. Um, you know, if, if questions are being asked, then they're being asked for a genuine reason. You're not being attacked. You're not being, you know, not questioning your expertise. Of that, they they they're asking general genuine questions. So don't get defensive. And as you said, answer the question asked. Don't answer a different question. And um, you're not a politician, well, unless you are a politician, in which case, you know, just answer whatever you feel like answering. Always dodge the questions. But um, in a normal company. Answer the yeah. question asked. And if you don't know the answer, then admit you you don't know the answer and you'll come back and check rather than trying to waffle your way out of it because they'll pick all oh, that very quickly. Oh, yeah. I've waffled in meetings before in the past and it's not pleasant, especially when you're a noob in a senior level meeting and you're just trying to, you're just thinking, oh, it's like, you know, you get a bit starstruck and you're just trying to milk the time there as as much as possible and you soon learn these are people 
a lot of senior people on very high wages. This is eating a lot of company value in terms of consuming their time. It's not about you. It's about the business. So be as concise as possible. If you do want to leave a mark, present concisely, present clearly, and be as brief as possible. It's not, you know, FaceTime, there's an art to it. It's about frequency, not duration. Exactly. And that's, I, you know, I was just about to make it that point. Yeah, it's, it's be regularly talking to them, even for a small amount of time, because that, again, is making you seen. And you're seen to be one of them because you're constantly with them, if you know what I mean. That, you know, it's not one big presentation that you have them for an hour or once a year. It's that you have them for five minutes every day or, you know, every once a week between them all and you'll see them all for five yeah. minutes. Even if it's just saying hello to them, you know, it doesn't always have to be. But I think that's a key thing to promotion is, you know, I know I'm repeating myself from, from earlier, but it's the be, make it easy for them to see you in, in the position that you want to be in. And if that's being a part of their inner circle, then be part of it. And even if you're not technically there yet, dress the part for who, who, who what level do you want to be at? Dress the part for that level and, and talk to those people find out you know any excuse to talk to them and, and it's, it's, it doesn't always have to be business it can be just a little bit of networking but that's that's key i think because if they can picture you in that position if they kind of look at you and see your name if, if the promotion board the people who are going to be doing it if the first time they hear of you is when your cv shows up on their table for the promotion you're not getting that promotion probably because they don't know who you are there'll be somebody else they know but if they see your name and and, and their first thing is oh that's sounds up, and they can already and almost a little bit surprised that I'm that. Oh, he's only looking for a promotion to this place. I thought he was already there. You're suddenly in a much stronger place. You're not not guaranteed to get it because maybe other people have got the same thing, but you've still got a very good chance. You've done yourself a very good, uh, given yourself a very good opportunity because they don't have to imagine you. They they know you. They know who you are, and they know what you're you're what to expect from you. So, you know, it's very easy for picture you in that place, which means they won't put up any objections if you happen to be the strongest candidate. Agreed. And it's about embedding yourself in the organization. So I think we're probably coming up to time. This is a great topic to talk about. Maybe we should make it a two-part series. What do you think, John, in terms of... Because there's the piece about, obviously, presentation, communication, and... Again, how you position yourself in terms of the value you bring. There's a certain element of doing it. And then there's a certain element of communicating how well you do it and the value it brings to the business. There's also a few other things that I'd like to touch upon. And that is networking because there's the, there's the marketing aspect, but there's also actively expanding your network within an organization for two reasons one get your name known and the other one is getting things done across functions especially with complex matrix structures you can't do it <laughs> even if you're a finance person you could be the best finance person if you've got no no support from say sales and marketing operations logistics purchasing you won't get a lot done you can make recommendations if they don't trust you, they don't like you, they won't listen, nothing happens. You'll just end up having to work around them. 
or worse yet, be in complete conflict all the time. So there's there's that piece. So there's the peer network. So the shall we say the um, the side to side network. You've also got the higher ups, which we've covered, and to a lesser extent, you've got your team. No less important, but they don't make the decisions. They're not voting to have you promoted. They're supporting you so you can be promoted. So you have to keep them motivated and you have to make sure you have a good team underneath you. So, and in large organizations, you don't necessarily get to choose the talent pool you're given. And sometimes there's, there can be, I guess, a bit of an aggressive bump fight over who are the perceived talents within that pool in your function and of them. Which ones are you able to negotiate so you can get them in your team and obviously promote yourself? You have to attract them, right? As much as anything. Yeah. And also... You'll attract them best by being good, you know, a good manager. Perceived you know. as a good manager yeah. who's yeah. on an upward trajectory because people will want to be working for you. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, networking, you know, is is is... It's something I hate, but it is important that the marketing networking piece um, are pretty much the same thing. Even if you're not marketing the company or marketing yourself, you're, you're networking both within the company and across another company. Since when I mentioned earlier about going to networking events that are external to your company, you know, the things. And That's because really, I was thinking of leaving, <laughs> if I'm honest. Well, like yeah. even, even without thinking of leaving, even if you're not thinking of yeah. leaving, because you don't know, you know... It, you will meet somebody senior outside your company and then that senior person ends up in your company later on. Well, then you've already done an yeah. awful lot. You're not a stranger to them. So, you know, it's that way. It's like there, there is, I can't remember the exact figures off, but jobs, I mean, a promotion is going for a job. It's just usually, it's often internal, but it's still a goal. You're going for a job. You're not just getting promoted. It's a lot of the time, you're actually actively uh, interviewing for the promotion. And yeah. there's some ridiculous number. I can't remember what the figure is, but it's a very high figure. Most jobs are not advertised. It's true networking. That you, oh, yeah. 80%, right. you know, yeah. is, is the classic Pareto. They and say 80% exactly. of the jobs have already been filled by the time yeah. they advertise. The only reason they advertise is to get HR to sign off on it to yeah. give the perception of transparency. Because if exactly. someone says... You've hired and no one told me I could have applied for that job. Yeah. And and promotions are exactly that. I would say the the I'd say that the percentage of promotions that are already decided before the job's advertised is even higher. You know, that the the, the what brings it down to eighty percent overall is the amount of new jobs that become available, you know, and are just advertised. But the promotions I'd say it's even higher. So, you know, you need to be networking to know that the promotion is coming up to and to be in with the right people and to to know who it is and to be seen by those people long before it, it goes public and you can actually apply for the promotion so that, that when they see your your name come up they know exactly who you are what you're you know they almost just going through the 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 you know ticking a box by doing an interview because they already know the answer to all the questions and it also buys you a little bit of leeway because if you have a if you're a particularly nervous interviewee, and if they already know you and they already know how good you are, and and the, if you have a bad interview, you're not you haven't lost completely. 
straight away. They'll give you a bit of, of leeway and you may get you know, to the second round or that, even if you had a terrible first round, if, if they if they know how good you are. Whereas if that's the first time that they've seen you and you come across as bad, then sorry, goodbye. Unless nobody else is going for the job, in which case do you really want it? <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that. I remember going for a, a job interview. It was actually the last internal one I did. Uh, for me, it was a sideways step, but it was a good opportunity. I'd be implementing some uh, advanced data analytics forecasting platform. And it was for five to 10 year projections on an asset class that was worth about 5 billion US dollars. And I actually met with the hiring manager and this is the thing. I kind of knew how it was going to play out, but I didn't know if it would play out. So I was just curious. So I applied for the job anyway. I'd already made up my mind I was leaving the organization, but what the hell? Uh, so yeah, uh, I met with him. We had a really good conversation. I thought, oh, this is a great guy. I'd really like to work for him. And then um, I had the interview and obviously HR procedure. He's there with a peer. And they're both questioning me. And I came in really prepared. I had notes because for me, I wanted to have something to refer to because I wanted to be sure I actually gave my best. And probably this is a thing, right? You you go in with notes, you're showing that you're not confident, you're over prepared. But I did answer the questions really well. I gave really strong examples with their um, leadership framework. And then later on, I found out that they'd promoted someone else from sales and marketing. This was not a pure sales and marketing role. This wasn't even a sales and marketing role. This was a finance slash analytics role. And I thought, well, fair enough. Turned out he'd been working for the hiring manager previously and had just done a kind of sideways switch. So I think it was almost like that, as you say, coming back to that point, people know who, when they create a role, they almost envisage the exact candidate who they have in mind before the job is <laughs> advertised. And it's almost like going through the process. And to be honest, I've been in those situations where I was the colleague. It was funny where I got the feedback from, because the it wasn't the hiring manager, but it was his peer. Who, asked, who gave me a few curveball questions, which I thought I answered well. But when I got the feedback, it was like, well, you should have talked about implementing the system. That was the answer. And I thought, they said I was too strategic rather than detailed enough. And I thought it was a strategic role. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it can be quite difficult to go into a it's almost like you could save yourself a lot of time if you could sense the buy signals. And I think over time, you just, you can tell almost immediately when you're in an interview, they're not interested and they're not buying. They're just going through emotion. Mm. Does that make sense? So, and the same with e-promotions, it's not going to happen. They'll have done some, if they're any good, they'd have done some background research on you. And if they're not interested, they're not going to have a conversation. They're not going to try and sell you the role. Or if they do, it's you can see they're reading off a script, trying to promote how good the organization or the job is. And so it's 
it's kind of one of those things where you almost want to avoid wasting both your time, both the time of all the participants. I hope that doesn't come across as too negative, but this is oh, kind I of... Think it's it's a valid thing to just bring up, but, you know, again, it is part of promotions, especially if you're looking for a promotion in a different company, you know, that you're, you're going, you're leaving the company to try and get it. It's an interview then, and it's a full-on interview, and pre prepping for it is a tough I'm one. consuming. But, you know, it's, it's prepping the right stuff. Now, I suppose I've, I've always felt it, you know, again, going back to that, that example I gave earlier of the person, and one of the things, they, they couldn't get another job for a long time. They were stuck where they were. And one of the things I remember asking him, he, and he'd, he'd spend weeks, well, he'd, he'd, he'd spend about at least a good week preparing for an interview. And that was never, how, what exactly? And when I say a week, I don't mean like doing 10 minutes. And I, I mean, you know, he was working full time preparing for an interview for a good week, week and a half before. And I'd be, what exactly are you doing? You know, what, what preparation are you doing? And he'd be doing everything, uh, learning everything about the company. He'd know what the company, you know, reading through the company's accounts, published accounts, this, that, and the other. And I kind of looking at him one time and I, you know, and I asked him what exactly, show me exactly what prep you're doing because he didn't get the job and didn't even get a second interview. And he, he went through it with me and I was looking at it and I was saying, but these are their accounts. They already know all this. They don't need you to tell them how much profit they made last year. And he wasn't even going for a finance role. He's not a financial person. And, you know, so I, he was completely, he was learning everything about the company tell them everything about the company. And so I said, but they already know it's their own company. What they need to know is, how do you fit the role that, that you're going for? And one thing was he, he was not, he couldn't talk about his own CV. He actually was very poor with his own CV. He, he couldn't. So, you know, when they're going through, he, he'd be trying to guess what they thought was important from the job spec. And as you know yourself, you know, job spec can have about 50 things. Well, some of the 20 um, things, this line, but they're only going to ask about five of them. But you don't know what five, it won't be the first five, it won't be the last, it'll be, you know. So you need to know your CV really well so that whatever five they come out with, you can say, okay, this is where I had experience with that. This is how I fit. That's what I think. He was never any good at that. He could tell them everything about their own company, but he couldn't tell them. He couldn't, he just couldn't tell. He was no good at narratives. He was no good at, uh, at that type of thing. And that was when you was. can't, you can't succeed without targeting. Uh, you need to know what the hiring manager is looking for, and ideally, maybe if you're if you're that smart, tell them what they don't realise they need, and then communicating that to them, so that that pain point, that pleasure point, get that in front of them, and and if 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 you don't know before the meeting, then ask them during the meeting and then target that nail it nail it link your skill set to that need but again coming back to the job spec fool's errand because a job spec is a wish list it's not it's something you do for hr and you're just basically covering your ass by saying i'm gonna put every skill i think is needed for this role to make it look like i've thought through it it's almost like it's a marketing piece to show the hiring manager knew what they were asking for and also knows a bit about, well, what's the latest management jargon? How do we communicate that we're an organization that's modern, up to date on management speak? So I don't know, replacing KPIs with OKRs, implementing, uh, God knows, 
the latest digital innovations, embedding generative AI, that sort of thing, I imagine will come up in the latest job specs and probably new roles. But again, it's all buzzwordy. If you ask them, hiring manager, why did they put that in? They probably wouldn't be able to tell you because they'd have to admit, well, we're just, we're just putting in a load of random stuff in and packaging it all up to call it a job spec. I think that, you know, it has been said in, in, in by way of, um, gender imbalances, I've seen it's done where it applies to anybody because it's a thing you know, in general, the, the thing was why 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 more men go for promotions to to or, or go for jobs that they're not qualified for than, than women, and the the you know how much research is done I don't know but the, the thing was something along the lines of the men are more likely to if, if the men tick four out of the ten boxes they'll apply for the job whereas the women seem to think they have to tick all ten of the boxes before they apply which was was one of the reasons. Well, I mean, that, that would, and it probably is a valid thing, but that's valid for absolutely everybody. That There'll be men who think, who have never gone for jobs because they think they're not qualified for them because they don't tick all 10 boxes. And, you know, maybe four is a little bit too light, but, it, um, you know, around that, I think if you hit about 50% and you're good at learning, go for it. I mean, I've often done that with jobs that I liked. I'd go in and I wouldn't, I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't try to bluff me way. You know, there'll be certain parts of that job spec that, I simply did not have any experience in. And when they, if they came up as the important bits, then I would simply admit I've no experience in that, but I'm a very fast learner. Um, and I'd give examples in the past where I went into roles that I didn't have experience in an area and I learned very quickly. Um, and that would do them. I often got the jobs, even though I technically didn't, you know, and in a few cases, the, 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 the stuff I didn't have experience with was actually very important, but I am a fast learner and I did learn how to do it very quickly. And they were happy with the experience I was able to give them of learning stuff very quickly, as well as I ticked enough of the other boxes that were important that I was able to do it. So that would be another little bit of advice I'd give to anybody looking for a promotion. Don't not apply just because you don't think you tick enough boxes. Some of the boxes that you don't tick might not be important. As you said, they just tend to put down everything. I mean, I, I remember helping a manager put together a, a, a job spec once and he literally put down on it a thing that he did once about three years earlier and just in case it needs to be done again, he put that down on the job spec. You know, the chances I was ever going to need, be needed were, were incredibly slim and he was not going to not hire somebody because they didn't have that thing. By the same token, if somebody came in and did have it and that was all they had, they weren't getting hired either because the important stuff were other things. Um, so, you know, as you said, job specs don't let them, you know, they give you an idea as to the role, what the needs are. And an overall, look at the overview of overall, you you would be suited to that role, go for it and know about the role and know how your experiences will fit into that role. Even if like in my, you know, a couple of times when I did it, I had no experience in a specific area, but I did have experience that I could go back to and say, well, you know, in this previous role, I had no experience in this area. When I started the role, I learned very quickly and I like, picked it up very quickly and was able to do it. And I am very confident that I can do that in this role. I have no experience in this area that, you know, but I, I'll pick it up very quickly and I will get it, you know, done. That, you know, and, and that works. That's, you know, you're not having to show you've done the exact stuff in a different job and you're having to show if you haven't done the stuff in, in a different job, 
Um, but there was something else you didn't do before you start our job, how good you are learning and picking up on it. And that will work. That will, you know, if everything else about you is good for the job, if they see you as a good fit, then your skills, you know, uh, if you're good at learning, if you're willing to be adaptive, you will get the job because they'll know you can adapt and you can learn what you need to learn that you haven't already got. And this is it. It's transferable skills, but also being able to learn quickly. Uh, it is about that, yeah, that ability to meet the requirements and deliver results. And again, it's more about understanding what is the real need and then fitting to that rather than fitting to a job spec, which is pretty much for me, arbitrary. Yeah. An arbitrary document that's used to tick a HR box. And apologies to any HR professionals out there. I'm sure they probably give the exact same advice to anybody because I'm sure they themselves have applied for jobs where they know full well they don't fit the job spec 100%, but half the stuff on the job spec is not really relevant. To, I mean, that's the other key thing. Oh, and by the way, yeah, we already know who's going to get the job. So, you know, don't bother. <laughs> 80% no, of the time, we already know who's going to get the job. And that's why I think the networking piece is important. That you know, be seeing, let, let so, them see you yeah. get in that role. Um, but in, in the event where you're going for a promotion and you haven't had an opportunity to to, to meet with them and that, you know, again, know about the role. Um, forget the job spec. You, the job spec will give you an idea as to what the role is. Know about the role and what would be expected of that role and how you can can satisfy that role. You know, know a bit about the company, obviously, you know what they sell, you know, they sell widgets, know they sell widgets, but you don't need to tell them how many widgets they sold last year. They know that already. That's unless you're, you're, you're the, you know, unless you're going in to be the, the CFO or the COO or the widget salesman or something, then it might be important. But generally speaking, you know, don't make the mistake of wasting weeks of prep time learning everything about the company that's not relevant to your job. Know everything about your, your role you're going for. As much about that as possible, how it fit in with the company, how it fits in with you, and any experience you have from other companies that maybe they've missed. Maybe, you know, that's what they're looking for is a new way of thinking about things. So bring that with you. But it's the role. Know everything about the role and, and just an overview about the company. You know, depending on the, uh, you know, obviously if you're, if you're, then if you're looking for a job as the CEO, chances are you're not doing interviews really, you're, you're being headhunted. Um, but that's where you need to know everything about the company. But for normal role. have you ever been headhunted, John? I've I've been how do I say? I've been headhunted for projects. I've never been headhunted for a permanent role. It's to to lead projects. I've been headhunted. That's pretty good. I I really enjoyed this conversation. So, what were your takeaways from this discussion? What do you think? If you could nail it to say four or five insights. What were your takeaways from this conversation in terms of how to get the most out of your corporate career? Network. I'm, I'm an introvert. I hate it, but it is important. And people have to see you and have to see you in the roles that you want to be in. So not the role that you're in now, the role you want to be in. That's a key one. And learn to communicate, to tailor your communications, not your communication skills. And you can practice them and you can do all that actually watch or communicate and tailor that to the audience. Technical stuff goes to technical people, strategic stuff goes to strategic people. And generally, if you're looking for a promotion, you're going to be dealing with more senior people than you are. So, you know, it might not necessarily have to be totally strategic. You're not, you're not going that high up, 
but it will have to be less technical than what you're used to and slightly more, you know, operational or, or not tactical or, or strategic. So that would be the, the second one. Um, from a preparation point of view, you know, again, it, it's kind of know what you're preparing. Um, it's the promotion. So how are you going to fit into that role? And if you don't tick all the boxes, how are you going to make up for those ones that you don't tick? And um, I suppose our fourth one would be, you know, try, if it doesn't work out, don't take it personal and don't give up trying. Get feedback. Try to be as impersonal as possible with the feedback because when you're getting feedback from people, they'll be telling you stuff that you thought you did well and they're saying you didn't do it well. Your natural reaction is to get very defensive and to take that person. Try not to. They're giving you this feedback for a reason. You didn't come across the dam as well as you thought you came across. And that could perhaps just be because you you had a great presentation for an audience A, but they're part of audience B, so they didn't like your audience A presentation. And um, so it could be just a matter of changing, you know, the, the communications. And, but try not to take anything personally. You know, occasionally, yeah, it will be personal. Like you just have a, a manager you don't like or who doesn't like you and is just going to keep you down for the spite. And that's the way it'll feel and it'll, it'll be able to try not to take it personally because taking it personally will just cause you more grief and will cause you to, to take things personally from other people who aren't being personal about or just didn't feel you were the best person for the job for whatever reason. Find out what that reason was and try to take corrective action. And try again. Don't give up. I'd agree with all of those. Can't say I'd add too much more to it, but from my side... On top of that, I would say just be intentional about your career. If you're not intentional, you're just sleeping on it, and that's not good because time is short. And coming on to that, don't waste your time. Don't be put off by that job spec. If it's got mm. 10 items and you've only got four of them, go for it anyway. At least, if anything, you're going to get feedback, even if it's a rejection. That means that they don't perceive you're ready. Or it could be. They've already got the position filled, in which case you go back to networking. The one thing I would say is there are 20% of those jobs which are actually looking for the right candidate rather than trying to tick a HR box. So if you do need to prepare for it, think about the hiring manager, not just trying to regurgitate and show everything you know about the company, but focus on what's the value that the role brings. And also, what is it that the hiring manager is looking for and how do you meet that need? Ideally, how do you exceed that need? Then again, coming back to what happens when you have gaps, you can show that you can fill those gaps by being highly adaptive, which means being able to pick up things quickly, being able to learn on the fly, and also being coachable. So being flexible enough to take that feedback on board, process it, and improve your performance. So, That's just and that me. comes back to communication. Sorry. Yeah. And I was just going to say, what you mentioned there was, uh, you know, that's a very good point that you just kind of mentioned in it. That, uh, if you go for a promotion in a role and it turns out to be one of those 80% that the person has already been picked, don't see that as a waste of time. As you said, that then what you've just done is you've engaged in some networking. Make a really good impression. You're not going to get that job, 
But now suddenly they know who you are and you may be the one that they make the next job for. So, you know, that, that even when you go for the, the promotion or the interview or whatever, if that job is, is ready, it's, it's marked for somebody else, you're not getting it. It's still an, an amazing networking opportunity to make a good impression. And that will will build stage you fast in the future, you know. Though. And the the other thing, I just yeah, you you uh, said it, and then when you said it, I thought, oh god, that should have been one of my four points. Was be 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 intentional about your thing. As I said at the very beginning, have your own idea. What do you mean by promotion? And then have your you know aim towards that promotion. Mm. Figure out what gaps you have and try to fill them. I suppose one other small thing, which is not really to do a promotion, it's after you get the promotion, but you know, you're preparing for it. A lot of people, they'll get promoted to a managerial um, position with no managerial experience. Obviously, it's your first managerial position. You're not going to have experience. And there is a thing that, you know, the, the people were getting their first managerial. I, I read it on, on LinkedIn and it's, you know, again, may not be fully accurate, but it's, it's, it's probably is reasonably accurate. People were getting their first managerial role at something like age 30 to 32 and were getting their first training for a managerial role on average around the age 45 to 48. So there's about a 12-year gap there. Very uh, more year gap between where I'm with no experience and with no training. So, you know, as you're preparing to uh, look for promotion, if you see opportunities to get training in for, you know, how to manage people, how to communicate, how to do this, that, and whatever, Take that training. Even if you're not going for promotion now, if you're not going to be going for promotion for another five years when you have more experience, if you have an opportunity to get that training, get it now and have it have it in place, ready to go. Otherwise, when you get to promotion, the very first thing you should be trying to do is get training. Don't try and wing it. People have already learned all the mistakes from mistakes and all the lessons and there are courses that will help you sort of take them. Mm. <laughs> and plenty of them, but again... It's trying to understand which ones are relevant to you for your specific gaps. So tailor it. If you're not, if you're technically weak as a manager, then you need to get technical skills. If your people skills are off and you struggle to communicate with your team, then it's probably more on the leadership side. So prioritize whichever gaps you have. And it could be just communication. Maybe you lose your audience. In the same way you might lose the executives by not explaining why, you could lose your direct reports by not explaining what and how. So again, it's it's changing and switching it up and being able to communicate up and down as well as across. So it's nice to be able to have both the big picture, but then also drill into the details. So it is a question of being able to paradigm shift and that will probably be the best skill I would I would say you could learn before everything else is to get the overview first and then learn how to translate that into tangible details. And again, that's project management, isn't it? You you translate strategy to execution. And that will hold you in a good stead then for future promotions because you know, presumably when you get this promotion, you're not going to want to just stay there for the rest of your career. You're going to want another one. But if you get this promotion and everything worked really smoothly that you were able to, you know, basically yeah. hit the ground running that you didn't have to spend three to five years learning the ropes, it will make it a lot easier. A, you'll be ready for another promotion quicker. And B, when you're going for another promotion, they'll see how well you've handled the last promotion 
and you know it'll look good for her. So yeah, I think that's um, yeah key thing. And even if you don't get promoted in one organisation, the the funny thing is you're still valued. The fact that they've kept you on, don't don't take that as failure. Take it as maybe being too successful, but in the wrong way. <laughs> if your aspiration is to move up the ladder. And best of luck to anybody who is looking to get a promotion, especially if you've got an interview set up or that. Good luck with it. Uh, try to enjoy it. Uh, it can be nerve-wracking stuff, but, you know, try to enjoy it and don't take it personally if it doesn't work. And well done if it does work. Yeah. And one last thing. We're going to we're gonna seek feedback on our episodes, so I'm going to add a link to a feedback form. If you feel like you've got value or if you think this episode could be improved, please leave your comments on the form. Thank you very much. This has been Business Breaks. John, thank you so much. Thanks, Daddy. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.